Today, we are going to review a dramatic late 2-2 draw against Watford at Goodison Park. We're going to start off by giving our one-word reaction to the match. We're going to move on to what we thought of the lineups. We'll then follow it up with tactical analysis, followed by player performances. And then lastly, our man of the match. This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Alex, let's hear the one-word match reaction. My one-word match reaction is going to be discouraging. And it's discouraging because we all felt like the Newcastle match was a must-win. We couldn't come out of it out of it with three points. We then move on to Watford at home. Once again, we talked about how much of a must-win it was. We scored early, Richarlison none other than Richarlison, and yet we couldn't hold on. We were bailed out by Luca Dean in the 96th minute, thank God, but I'm still not happy with it. What about you, James? What was your one-word match reaction? So my one word is going to be tempering, and in the context of tempering expectations. I think that this game, after the Newcastle Newcastle game, as you said, was we were looking at this as a... Um, three points that we needed to have, especially with, you know, Man City and Spurs on the horizon. But it didn't come off that way. It was at times very, very poor, especially in the second half. It's kind of just beginning to show that though we started the season really well and had some really bright moments and have looked really good and vastly improved from last season, there's still some of that residual Everton-ness about this team. And I think it's re- I think as fans, we sort of have to realize we're starting to realize how big of a project this is for Sylvan brands and that it's not going to be necessarily an immediate jump from where we were to competing for the top six. I think it's time to, you know, reflect and evaluate where we're at and adjust our expectations accordingly. Cause I think some fans may, including myself and, and maybe you as well have started to kind of get ahead of ourselves. That's fair to say it's difficult because we were kind of given that sixth place to grasp at, and especially so quickly, right? We're not even halfway through the season yet. And so it's really hard to temper your expectations once you see yourself sitting at sixth place, you have a full full healthy squad. Some players like Lookman, Calvert-Lewin, Cenk Tosin haven't been getting minutes. And so you're thinking to yourself that they can only do, they can only contribute and do better as the season moves forward. So it's pretty difficult. I think that's certainly fair. So when we first saw the lineups come out, Alex, you texted me and you said you were very surprised. Why was that? I was surprised because I thought that after the Newcastle match, Silva essentially made a realization or a public admonition that we needed to be playing with an actual striker. And furthermore, with the amount of minutes that the lineup that we came out with, which is essentially that's been our starting lineup for, you know, 
five or so weeks now. Those guys have been getting so many minutes, and so I was really surprised to essentially see no rotation from that initial lineup. I thought, in general, it was a pretty good, pretty good move, but it was still skeptical. What, what did you think? Well, it's the tried and true, right? This is what this is the lineup that's worked for us so far this season, the team that's really looked the best out of any team that we put on the pitch. And what we've seen is that when Silva tries to make changes to the lineup, it generally doesn't work as well. I don't know whether that's because the players don't have the experience or what they offer tactically just isn't the same. But with Richarlison up top, Bernard, and then Walcott just seems to be, although not ideal, and I think we can we can recruit better players and improve. That seems to be the lineup that Silva feels most confident with based on all the evidence that he has at his disposal, which is certainly more than us as fans have, which is just the game performance. And I said this midweek or our last episode, the Watford preview, I wouldn't be surprised to see him revert back to this original team. And although I would have liked to see maybe some small changes, I really can't fault Silva for his approach to this game because this, though Watford aren't a top six team, they're not the likes of which we want to be competing with the, they are the teams the team that we're going to be right around i think towards the end of the season they have a good good side and they came to play today to their credit they really did speaking of watford Gerard de la feu started on the bench but it was said that he got a fantastic reception from the fans prior to the match maybe it was a couple of days ago liverpool echo had some quotes of him reflecting on his time at goodison park And he essentially said he couldn't understand why he wasn't getting minutes with Ronald Koeman. And so he decided if he's not going to play, he's got to leave, which you can't fault the man for that. It was interesting. I thought that it was expected with Troy Deeney leading the line. Their defense was pretty solid. Ducore impressed me, although I hate to say that. I wasn't a big fan of Isaac's success, that's for sure. There's a lot of flopping going around on both sides. Frankly, and I tweeted this out midway through the game, I thought Richarlison, his effectiveness was limited because he was almost trying to play like the target man role and we were playing a lot of long balls up towards him and he was trying to win them. But he doesn't play... He's strong in moments, but he doesn't have that consistent like will to stay upright. There was a lot of... He'll take contact and try to embellish and, and sell it, which is all part of the modern game and success was doing something very similar but it was frustrating at times because it does disrupt play and there was one where he went down right outside the 18 i believe and the ball was like right next to his head and he was just like staying down it's like he realized that he couldn't immediately get up and play it because it would kind of show that it was he was faking a bit essentially maybe he was actually hurt it's hard to say because he does go down quite a bit but but there was a lot of flopping on both sides and i thought the ref really could have done better as far as taking control of the game early on for the first goal, it's hard to criticize the ref because it did. He was poor for both sides, but we did benefit from a the first goal, which after a really good bit of build up play, where Walcott actually holds the ball up really well and plays it to Coleman, who then plays it back to Gomez, who dribbles it, and then Walcott takes just the slightest touch, and he's offside in that position, so that should have been disallowed. But it was a really good finish from a Charleston. It was, and. That was like the dream start. It's really a dream start to any match. But, I mean, imagine sitting there 30 minutes before the match starts. We're both at work. We're daydreaming. What is the best scenario? And you're just thinking Richarlison in the first 15 minutes scores 1-0 at Goodison Park. Everyone's going wild. And then we move on to dominate the match. 
Unfortunately, we're missing the latter piece, which ended up being the most important, James, wasn't it? The dominating the match. And I'm going to go back to what you said previously about Watford. Watford are a really good side, whether we like to admit it or not. I know a lot of the Evertonians are not big fans of Watford. Me neither. But the point is, this is the type of match, specifically at home, where you're testing how far have we come and how far do we still need to go? Because you can talk all this good stuff about challenging the top six or the quote-unquote big six at home or away. But in reality, Watford, unfortunately, is the type of team that we are competing against. Watford, Leicester, for example, maybe Wolves. This kind of shows us that we're not quite there. I will end that piece on the fact that I thought immediately we came out and we looked fatigued. Yeah, I think we just looked flat and, and the fatigue may be a, a factor. We did have five days rest. It's hard to say that you know they're professional footballers. Their cardio levels should be up to scruff enough that they can play two 90-minute games in that short a time span. And we did rotate the squad a little bit against Newcastle. Although, again, like some players are still playing through. It is getting to that time of year where the fatigue starts to set in. A player that you called for to sit, Luca Dean, you know, was probably our best player. Of course, ends up scoring the fantastic free kick goal to to salvage a point. You know, throughout the game, it just, the front three, I thought Walcott probably had looked the best he has in a long time. Maybe that's just because the other three weren't really clicking. I thought Sigurdsson really not his best game. Didn't really, wasn't able to find those pockets of space as well as he has kind of behind Richarlison. And then Bernard has some really nice touches, has good, you know, agility and things, but the the passing that he does sometimes is just mind-bogglingly bad. Like he played, tried to play one driven through ball and it was just nowhere near anybody. And he's left like holding his hands up apologetically. And it's kind of like, what what's happening? Thankfully, he didn't have any major slips today. It was just a poor performance, although the first half, we did deserve to be up, I think, especially that first like 20 minutes when we scored. But then Wofford really kind of took it to us. They they didn't get afraid. They didn't. They went down one and they weren't, they didn't back down. They didn't capitulate, which is a word that will come up later on in the discussion talking about the second half. Yeah, maybe it's fatigue. It's just something's not clicking. It's like ever since the horror show in the Derby, we've we've kind of lost our mojo almost. It's hard to put a finger on why we lost control of the match and then really just couldn't regain control. I've thought it over from back to front in terms of the lineup, the pitch itself, and the only thing I can point to would be that we didn't have a real target forward to help transition play. Because, you know, it's it's fantastic to have Richarlison playing up there when he's playing with his back to goal, realistically, how many aerial duels did he win? Not very many. I haven't looked at stats, but not very many, right? That's just how it goes. He's not hes not a tall guy. He doesn't have the best ups in the world. And when you don't have that focal point to transition play, then you're missing quite a bit. With Lukaku, he was the best of both worlds, uh, barring the first touch, because he could hold the ball up and he was extremely strong. He could lay it off and then he could sprint in behind 
he brought the power and the pace, which is extremely rare. And so I find that it's not really the midfield that, you know, the center three that had an issue holding onto the ball. I thought both wingers, Bernard and Walcott, actually had good games. And I thought Richarlison did pretty well too, other than the physicality piece. It's just we didn't have anyone to hold up the ball and retain possession. And that saw us kind of fall by the wayside and we just could not regain control. Yeah, we never really took the game by the scruff of the neck and kind of just said, look, we're better than you. We're at home. We're going to dominate. It was a lot of back and forth. And again, it comes down to Wofford being a good side and they came with a game plan and they executed it well. You're right. It's And it's no no secret to any Evertonian. They know, everyone knows that we've missed Romelu Lukaku since he's left. There's been a lot of talk about you know whether we'd accept him back. And I think it's everyone's happy to have moved on. But the fact remains that he was a 20-goal season striker and we have yet to find anyone that is even close. Although Richarlison now on eight goals. So, you know, the return there is promising, but he he's a very different type of player. And he's not he's not the type of player that I think we need in that position. And I think again, no secret, and I'm sure Marcel Brands and Marco Silva are are behind closed doors, plotting, scheming, getting ready to make a move for someone, whether that be in January or next summer. But it's clear that we need a true striker because Richarlison doesn't operate best when he's up top. Because like you said, he's not the type of player who's gonna win aerial duels, hold the ball up bring the wingers into play. He's the type of player you want running at defenders, getting into space, using his his strength in combination with his acceleration and not in isolation back to players. I don't know. It's not an easy fix. And, and like I said, it, it's kind of just become this season. We're faced with looking at between sixth and ninth as a finishing place. And that's by no means bad, but I think it's, it's, it's it's unfair to, to all of a sudden, because we've had a good first third of the season, to raise the expectation to be like, we're six. We need to be six. That is that is great. Like That should be a bonus. It should be a bonus. And to backtrack and talk about kind of the striker piece, on the opposite end of the ball, on the defensive side of things, Troy Deeney showed you exactly what that type of player, please do not take this as me suggesting we should sign Troy Deeney, I'm just talking him. about <laughs> I'm just talking about a center forward. He would post up and he would suck one of this defenders, one of the central defenders in field. And so what happened was he would hold the ball up, knock it off to Pereira behind him, who could then throw a through or pass a through ball straight into success, for example. And that's the type of movement that we would benefit from if we had an actual striker. Now, or sorry, an actual center forward. We saw we see Richarlison try to do that, but the thing is that he's not strong enough to be able to handle it and execute it as quickly and as crisply as someone like Troy Deeney. And then on top of that, the physical presence that a center forward offers gives the center back something more to think about than just some pace. I think that that was really a showcase for what we should be looking for in terms of qualities in a player. Now, I've seen the name Maxi Gomez from Celta Vigo floated around. I actually watched some highlights for him today. He looks pretty impressive. He's pretty much standard center forward, six foot one, pretty strong, fantastic finishing. He's a young Uruguayan player. I think he's 21 now. 
So that could be a good shout, but I think we'll see. I personally don't think we're going to sign a striker in January. I wouldn't be surprised just because of the market and how difficult it is. I do kind of want to switch back and talk about that five-minute period, probably the most eventful period of the match for Everton. So we concede the first goal. It's a very good shot from Pereira that goes off the post in a very unfortunate deflection. Really nothing that Seamus could do. It's hard to fault him for that. Uh, that unlucky deflection that goes in. But then, and and that comes after a spell of probably 10 minutes of Watford pressure where it looked like they were ready to score and they looked very hungry. And it eventually happened and it was pretty unsurprising to me. I don't know what you thought. I thought it was unsurprising. Luca Dean slips. Bernard doesn't catch the overlapping run, crosses into the box. It just comes down to the fact that the momentum was building and you just always felt it. And that was my comment at halftime was we are going to need a second goal. And that was all I knew. Turned out to be true. And then it just ended up feeling like a nail in the coffin when Ducore, of all people, marches up the pitch and just kind of dominates inside the box to head one home very shortly after. Yeah, it's clear that Ducore is a listener to the American Toffee podcast and he heard your criticisms of him uh, last episode <laughs> and thought, you know what? I'm going to prove Alex wrong. I'm going to go up. And, and it was a great run, but he heads it in from like the four yard, you know, the four yard line. That's a ball that P- either Pickford should have, or we should have somebody all over it, whether it's Jerry Mina. I mean, he's a, Ducore is huge. He's very big. And, and you look at who's around him for the goal and it's no surprise that he's going to win it. And he does get up vertically very well. But it was just shocking. It was like we just switched off for that that brief period of time. And it's like snap of the fingers, we're down 2-1. And it looked like, you know, it was deserved too. I mean, the second goal, it was just so fast that it was just like, I was sitting and dumbfounded. So kind of just to, to throw this little tidbit in here. So I went into work this morning expecting to have to watch the game, you know, half watch it, half work. And then I go and I find that I actually have 10 hours of, personal time off that I have to use before the end of the year. And so I asked my boss, Hey, is it cool if I take two hours off at the end of the, you know, the end of the day and don't really tell him why, but he says, okay. So I end up going to Starbucks, sit down, get a coffee, sit down to watch the game. So I'm just like sitting in Starbucks, trying not to like fall out of my seat and react to, to the capitulation coming back to that word, because the capitulation is something, something that most Evertonians should be familiar with because it was a very, common thing to see last season and we saw just that brief five minute span kind of uh, a reversion to form of what we of the type of mentality and resilience that we didn't show last season yeah i sat in my cubicle wanting to bang my head on my desk but i had to act normal because i wasn't supposed to be watching in the first place it might have been better if i didn't at this point and then shortly after that so we're down to one and then we utilize the long throw of Luca Dean into the box. Yeri Mina gets pushed down. Kevin Friend decides to award the penalty. And then it's like, okay, we're back. This is our chance to, again, pull ourselves up, rebound, come back, and equalize. And then there's still plenty of time left to go and get the winner. Not exactly how that played out. To be fair, I thought it was a good penalty taken by Sigurdsson. I thought it was just an even better save. He went for power. It was placed pretty well. Not perfect, but pretty well. And with the pace on the ball, you're thinking even if he gets a hand on it, doesn't matter. Somehow Ben Foster keeps it out. At that point, I just kind of chuckled because what can you do? 
It's unlucky. It was actually, I think it was actually his foot because he's diving to the side and Sigurdsson puts it basically right down the middle. And I think it deflects high off his foot and out. It's a good save. Jordan Pickford has actually made a similar save this season. A really good save. And Ben Foster had a, had a great game, to be honest, made some, some nice saves. And I actually saw a statistic uh, on Twitter. Gilfie Sigurdsson has made like 45 of his 50 career Premier League penalties, but he's missed three of his last five. That's crazy. I believe it though. He has. He's definitely missed more than one this season, or he's missed another besides this. I think he actually one of them was off target. Yeah, he hit it he hit it over the bar. And and in that goes into kind of like also not just penalties, but our set piece delivery has has left a lot to be desired. There were far too many times this game and the last few games when we're taking corner kicks or free kicks. And it's hitting the first man. We're not, and we have such big, strong players, especially when Silva decided to bring Calvert Lewin on, on top of Yuri Mina, Michael Keane, to win those headers. And we just can't seem to find players. You would think that, given our size and strength, that set pieces would be one of our best assets. But we really have yet to find a way to consistently involve our big players and get them good chances and good positions. Yep, we're taking a ridiculous amount of set pieces every match, statistically. I want to say in the last week or so, we were second in the league for how many we've taken. And yet I believe we've scored maybe once off of a set piece or specifically a corner. And so my my reaction, and this is back to the Newcastle match last week, there needs to be some significant time, whether that's extra time or not, formulating a better plan for set pieces. We've got Dean and Sigurdsson, who are fantastic at set pieces, whether it's a corner or not. And then we've got Yeri Mina, Michael Keane, sometimes Zuma in the box. Richarlison is no stranger to heading, heading a goal in. And so you're thinking, it's something's got to give, and it's just not. You just think eventually luck has to come, you know, luck has to play into it in Everton's favor because we've been on the wrong side of so many decisions and you know just bad spats of luck and we did get again we got the luck with the Walcott not being called offside and then we also got luck right at the close of the first half with uh Yuri Mina with that challenge uh right at the edge of the box which he didn't get the ball it should have been at the very least a free kick if not a second yellow the reason I bring that up is because it just shows that despite those two monumental decisions going our way we still were very fortunate to come away with a draw with a point because of a magnificently placed free kick from Luca Dean. It was undeserved. And I'm going to be honest when I found out that we equalized because I left work at around the 87th minute in despair, essentially, I wasn't even that happy because I don't even care about the one point. It comes down to the fact that one point or not, we didn't, deserve well i won't say we won't deserve we didn't deserve the one point we just didn't put in a performance that warrants any sort of happiness essentially as as grim as that sounds as previously mentioned we've got city and spurs coming up the fixtures are going to keep rolling in we're still in the fa cup and so we've got to figure out how to pull ourselves out of this small rut that we're in hopefully we can continue to improve it's a long season. It's just a long season and it's an even longer multi-year project we're working on. 
And so there's going to be ups and downs. We experienced the ups pre-derby, and now we're on a bit of a downturn. They're professional players. We know the quality we have on the side. They're going to turn things around. But looking at the next two matches, City and Spurs, if we don't win either of those, I mean, if it's hard to see a way that we get that we beat Manchester City. I think the Spurs result, the Spurs draw is probably a better chance of picking up points. I mean, we have put in good performances against all the top sides we played this season. So I'm thinking that we can still maybe, you know, come out of nowhere, kind of blindside the team, you know, City and City and Spurs. But then, I mean, if we don't, then we're looking at no wins in five. And it starts to look pretty bleak when the other teams around us, you know, Wolves have now had a couple good results in a row. It's it's going to get harder in the table. There's a lot of points up for grabs in the next few weeks. And we're going to have a very good idea of where we sit in the Premier League hierarchy come, you know, January 10th or so, once the once those Christmas fixtures have come. And I think only, I think right around that time is when we're going to really start being able to assess what is realistic and what is a bit of a pipe dream as far as results and success this season goes. Exactly. It's still early. It's hard not to think about the future. This this opinion is definitely early. But when I think about the future and next season, the only reason why this season is important is for recruitment. And so when we look at the types of players that we were able to pull in in the summer window, all of our Barcelona boys, TM, Richarlison, Bernard, over all of the host of clubs that Bernard had options to go to, you wonder how are you going to be able to sell to those types of players again next summer if you finish, let's say, eighth for the second season in a row. That's my thought process for why it's still important to have a good showing and still aim for seventh, maybe sixth, although somewhat unlikely. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason we shouldn't shoot for six. Six should be the team's goal or even you know higher. The team should be aiming higher. But I think just as fans, at the beginning of the season, had you asked anyone, they would have said, if we could show clear direction and progress after last season, that fans would be happy with that. And now all of a sudden, once you see the way that the new signings have settled in and everything, those expectations just all of a sudden, you know, it's typical Everton and typical Everton fashion to try, you know, as soon as something goes good, you get overly optimistic and then something horrible happens and you begin to crash right back down to earth. And I think we're kind of in the middle right now. Some fans are very negative and it, and it, turns on a dime you know can can go one way or the other based on the fixture but really it's just about being realistic understanding that we've got a long way to go what we've seen so far has been tremendous it's really long term only going to get better in my opinion it is and you hope that some of our young players again who got a lot of time on the pitch last season can continue to improve whether that's in training or getting sub appearances. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, James, to wrap things up, obviously it's somewhat awkward to pick a man of the match in a draw, but who would be your man of the match for Everton? 
It's not a tough pick for me. It's Luca Dean. I think that most of the team had a relatively poor showing, particularly the midfield, including Andre Gomez, who wasn't poor by any stretch, but wasn't up to what we've come to expect from him on the last four or five games. I thought Luca Dean throughout the whole game looked dangerous. He was getting up and being very aggressive and overlapping and attacking and, and looking to put crosses in the box. And then, of course, he caps it all off with the salvation, our savior, a beautifully curled free kick into the top corner and and really Foster's reaction to it kind of just sums everything up. He was livid. It, it's a hilarious and it'll be a great you know gif for the future. I agree with you. I will say I want to give a special shout out to Theo Walcott. All over Reddit, people were slating him even at halftime. I thought he had one of his best matches in a while. He didn't really get dispossessed that much. When he did, that was after dribbling past three players in borderlines the six-yard box. He was holding up the ball well. He combined with Seamus Coleman pretty well. And so I thought that it was a good showing from him. And I hope that he can continue to fight for his place because... To be honest, Lookman came on and he didn't look that great. No, he didn't look good and he didn't look good against Newcastle either. So a lot a lot still to come this season. We've got a long ways to go. Still very much looking forward to the City game at home because I think we have an opportunity to make a statement. And we're going to be previewing that match for you guys later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.